Good morning. Hope we're all having a wonderful day so far. Sunday morning, we're going to begin worship. Let's all stand and sing, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. Worthy 
sing that chorus again. You are worthy. Good morning and uh, welcome to Rose Bower. We are so delighted that y'all are here to uh, worship God this Sunday morning and just what it is an honor to have y'all here. If you're a guest with us, would you please fill out that visitor information form that's in front of you? Uh, either put in the offering or in the box in the back whenever uh, you leave. Uh, the April focus verse of the month has been the Beatitudes, and that's something we're working through with the children's on Awana, and it's just been eye-opening to me. But this month's April is Mark Matthew 5, 8 through 10. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. God, thank you um, for just being the creator of us. God, thank you for the way that you prayed for us and you did and uh, before you went to the cross. Father, thank you for the way that we can come and worship you. Be with us now as we get ready to praise and honor you and listen to your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Ushers are going to be coming through the aisle, picking up the offering. We're going to continue in worship. Let's all stand. Let's sing Song of the Month. is dead and done his life has overcome speak 
say the name above all names over every broken place he has risen from the What we 
I am. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. You are time when the kids come forward they're going to go to children's church we're going to worship with one more song
let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us this time to be in your house with fellow believers, to lift up our voices, to praise you for being a good father to us, for loving us even though we're unlovable, for forgiving us even though we're unforgivable. But Lord, seeing us through uh, the lens of, of looking at us as for Jesus Christ. And Lord, we praise you for his blood that was shed on the cross for our behalf. And Lord, we're, we're, we're thankful and we praise you for giving us that grace and that love and that mercy. Um, for even though we, we turn our backs uh, to you daily, we, we go our own way. Lord, you still, you still love us. You still forgive us. When we repent, we come to you. Lord, we praise you this morning for that. We praise you for being uh, a wonderful father to us and giving us direction through your word. Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself to each one of us individually today in our souls and our spirits. We ask for you to just encourage us today, Lord. Fill, fill us up, Lord, so we can go back out into this lost world and be your ambassadors and be your witness. We thank you for this church, Lord. I thank you for this church, this leadership that we have in this church. Lord, I, pr I pray for Brother Justin and his family. I lift him up to you as you give him your words and wisdom. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Bibles with you this morning, I want to ask you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We'll begin reading in verse 20. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 20. And as, our, as you're turning there, I want to share with you about your discipleship partner this upcoming week. I want to remind you to reach out to them, check on them how they're doing in their reading, um, how life is going, and see if there's any way that you can pray for your discipleship partner um, this upcoming week. Um, see how the Lord is speaking through our reading together in their lives and how it's been helpful, encouraging in some way, form, or fashion. So don't forget to reach out to them this week. But this morning, we're turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 as we're continuing in our New Testament reading plan. Um, and this morning, I want to begin with asking you a question. That question is, what is the favorite language you've ever heard spoken? And I guess you would say more so like some people like the way people, French, like people that speak French, it, it, it's kind of, you don't understand, I couldn't understand it, but it sounds really neat as it's put together is what some would say beautiful, as what they would say, some might say German or Spanish. Um, I can remember when I was in Africa and they were speaking Swahili with Brother Alex and they were over there and Swahili is very unique because... When we were in Moragora, and, and Brother Alex could be talking about something simple or something like something about dessert or something that is non-confrontational. But when they're talking about it in Swahili, it sounds like they're about to kill each other. 
Have you ever heard of it? I mean, Google it, <laughs> YouTube it, and here, like, it, they start shouting at one another, but they're not mad at each other. They're just speaking Swahili. It sounds like a very uh, controversial language. Uh, one of my, when I was in London, I loved to hear them speak in that native, in that English tongue, that the, the British kind of language. I love to hear them speak. And Ashton's, Ashton's favorite language, Ashton Coot, is, is pirate, I think. Is that right, you love? <laughs> no, just kidding. But anyway, a language that you like to hear spoken. One of my favorite languages is the language of Phoenix. My three-year-old who speaks um, his own language, right? It's his very own language that so many times that he will tell me this full and total story. And when he gets done, I have no clue what he just said. And so I'll say, what? And so he will retell the entire story, but this time he will tell the whole story only louder, right? Because isn't it funny when there's a breakdown in our language barriers that we think if we just speak louder, then somehow they're going to get it this time. Well, that is also true even of a three-year-old, because when I say, huh, he's just only going to say it at a higher level level um, until I'll have to say and then he'll go get and I'll ask him again and then he'll say never mind he'll go to mom because mom can understand everything that he is saying I've told you in the past that one of the things that he struggles saying is his name which is really unfortunate right because a lot of people ask what's your name his name is Phoenix and and you'll ask him what his name is and he'll say tennis he still says tennis, and in his mind, and so Kendra helps with the girls' basketball team at school, and like they all uh, love Phoenix, and they're always talking to him, and he, they'll ask him what his name, he says tennis, so now the entire girls' basketball team will call him tennis, and then when he gets in the car to go home, Phoenix will say, Mom, why do they call me tennis? <laughs> and he don't realize, in his mind, he's saying Phoenix, but what's coming out is tennis. And so I love to hear, I could just listen to him speak all day long, um, and, and most of the time I can't understand him, but I just love to hear him speak. This morning we're looking at the church of Corinth, and many had fallen in love with the gift of tongues. All right, They loved, some had made too much of the gift of tongues, speaking in tongues. Some had made too little of the gift of tongues. And there is this big conflict that had come up in the church. And so Paul writes to them to address the issue of speaking in tongues. And so that's where we want to pick up this morning with 1 Corinthians chapter 14 in verse 20. If you'll stand to your feet and honor the reading of God's most holy word, the word of God says this, Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice, be babes, but in understanding, be mature. In the law, it is written, With men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people, and yet for all that they will, hear me. It will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. 
Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if all prophesy, an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all. And thus the secrets of his hearts are revealed, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation, let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church, and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, that all may learn, and that all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Let's stop there just for a minute. Pray for God's help. God, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for this opportunity to open up your most holy word. And we pray now by the power of your spirit that you'll bless it for our understanding, for our growing into maturity. Lord, may we understand you at a higher level today that makes us even more like your son, Jesus. And God, we pray this, that you bind the distractions and bind Satan from this place and that you may have your will and your way. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. This passage is somewhat of a difficult passage to know and to understand. As you read through it, I kind of got tongue-tied there just reading it, right? And so for us to read that and to understand that and to put that into practice, it, it, it's not always easy when we read Scripture to fully know and understand and to practice the things of Scripture. Um, but we want to spend just a few minutes this morning looking at a very difficult passage and trying our very best to walk through it and to understand what God is saying to us as His people and to us as His church. Um, what is going on here in this particular church is um, what we learn is there's a lot of problems going on in church corn. Paul writes a letter to address the problems. It had immorality, it had sin, some of the things that was in the culture had worked its way into the church, and so Paul is writing to teach them a better way. What he says in chapter 12 and 13 is a more excellent way, and that more excellent way is through unity of the gospel of Jesus Christ and by serving one another in love that comes from God the Father. And so he tells them that's the more excellent way. And then here in chapter 4, he writes and he shares two things in particular that we're going to look at. The first one is the church's conduct. Church's conduct. That you see, in chapter 4, there is chaos and confusion that is going on within the church. And he begins here in verse 20 and says, Do not be children in your understanding. You see, when I was a kid in school, we used to get a report card about every nine weeks. 
and they would send home a report card for my mom and dad to sign. And every single time, it would have a grade for my reading, for my math, um, for my spelling, for my science. And then below all of my grades, it would then have a grade for my conduct for how well I was behaving in class. Not just how well I was understanding, not just how well I was doing in math and reading and all that, but there was a grade for my conduct. And on my, on, on my report card that the teachers would send home, a lot of times under conduct, it would say something like this, Justin likes to talk to his friends. Or Justin doesn't always sit in his chair like he's supposed to. Um, it would be the teacher writing to mom and dad telling how well I was behaving while I was at school. Paul is speaking about how well the church was behaving in the worship services itself. He was telling them they were behaving like kids. Now the Bible tells us that we are to have faith like a child. But he never says we should act like a child. He never tells us that we should act childish in our behaving or in our actions, but instead we have faith that is utter dependence upon Jesus as Lord and Savior of our life. We're supposed to have that childlike faith, but when it comes to the Word, we are to mature and to grow in the Word. But instead, what was going on in Church of Corinth, they were actually growing and maturing in their sin, in the ways of the world. They were like babes with little to no understanding. And so at this point of the letters, he begins to address their conduct. You see, what was going on in the worship service was it was an absolute free-for-all. There were people speaking in tongues. There were people singing. There were people prophesying. There were people out of control running around. Um, there were people disagreeing with one another over doctrine and asking questions and fighting and fussing. And all of this was going on at the same exact time during worship. So there's complete and total chaos and they called it worship. This scripture reminds me a lot of what goes on at my house on any given night at about 9 p.m. That you've got Phoenix speaking in his own tongue. You've got Paxton singing and running around and dancing. You've got Jackson and Knox disagreeing and arguing over who's going to get in the shower first. You've got me prophesying, telling them what's going to be done and when it's going to be done by. And then Kendra's over there praying. I think all of us probably have had one of those worship services in our homes, right? From time and time again, that, that's kind of what happens when you have a young family. It's absolute chaos, but in verse 33, Paul reminds them that God is not the author of confusion, but He's the God of peace. What we're going to learn is He's the God of peace, He's the God of order, that everything should be done decently and in order, and that is no less true than when it comes to worshiping our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
That's what he's teaching them here in this passage. Verse 26, he reminds them all things should be done for the edification. That is, all things in the church is meant to build up the entire body, not just an individual. And that's where he starts talking about the issue of speaking in tongues. All right, And so when the whole body is meant to be encouraged and built up and pointing to God our Heavenly Father, not just one individual. And so he addresses two issues going on in the church. The first one is speaking in tongues. Now speaking in tongues uh, was causing a lot of trouble in this particular church. So Paul is instructing them on what that looks like, that worship, our activities, our services, all that we do as a believer, all that we do as a church is meant to reflect the character of God, not the character of this world. So he addresses them about tongues. Now, speaking in tongues that he's speaking of in this passage is a prayer or praise spoken in a syllable not understood by the speaker. An example of one type of speaking in tongues is we find in Acts chapter 2 when the Spirit of God came up on the apostles at Pentecost and they began to speak a foreign language with their tongue for those who were in the congregation, those who were there present to understand what was being spoken. Right? They had never spoken this language before. The Spirit of God empowered them, and they began to speak, let's just put it in common day terms, they, if I, they began to speak perfect Spanish, per, perfect German, perfect Swahili, perfect French, and they've never spoken that language before in their life. It was only by the power of God that empowered them to be able to speak a language they couldn't speak before in order to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is a form of speaking in tongues that we see in Scripture. This tongue that he's speaking of here is a little bit different, and I do want to say this from the very, very beginning. I should have said it earlier. Is that what the overarching theme that Paul is sharing with the churches right here is they were focusing on minor issues. They were majoring on minor issues and not focusing on Christ, and that was the problem. That's what he's going to address here is saying, you're putting so much emphasis on a minor issue that is causing fight and fussing between believers when the focus should be fully, totally, and wholly on Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you're causing all kinds of problems because you're majoring not on Christ. So what I say that to say this is, listen, you might not agree with everything I say this morning when it comes to speaking in tongues. And what the Bible says is that's okay. We can agree to disagree over speaking in tongues as long as we agree on the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we got to have unity over. The gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we hold as a closed-hand issue that we will not bend that we will, not, uh, we will not back down from. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, a minor issue like speaking on tongue, we can agree to disagree on. And we don't have to fight over that. We don't have to uh, part ways and not associate with one another over speaking in tongues. So I hope you understand what I'm saying here. But speaking in tongue, what he's talking about here in this particular passage is a, is a prayer or praise spoken in a syllable uh, that is not understood by the speaker. Right? It, see, tongues is communication from us to God. So it's like a prayer that's 
pray to God. And prophecy is communication from God to us. That he will use a teacher to teach about God's word for you to discern the truth that comes from God. So prophecy is different from tongues. Here in this text, believers were filled, or this church was filled with many people who made too much about the tongues and people who made too little about the tongues. That's what was going on. And the same issues are true in the church today. There are some believers that say this. They say that you're not truly a believer unless you speak in tongues. What do we know about chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, that Paul told us that we don't receive, there, there's several different types of gifts, but the Spirit of God only guarantees to give us one as a believer, so we're not all going to have the gift of speaking in tongues, so to say that you're only saved if you speak in tongues is not true, and it does not fall in line with Scripture. There are some that say, well, you're only spiritually mature if you speak in tongues, and that, yeah, you might not say, you can be a believer and not speak in tongues, but you can't be mature as a believer and not speak in tongues. And once again, that goes back to the Spirit of God does not give us all spiritual gifts. You might not have the gift of speaking in tongues. And if that's true, that doesn't mean you're not spiritually mature. That's what Paul has already made clear. So he's saying on both accounts, both of those arguments are wrong. It does not mean you're not a believer. It does not mean you're not mature if you're speaking, if you're not speaking in tongues. You see, what was going on, they were speaking in tongues, but what he's telling them to do is to grow up in maturity. You're so focused on tongues, you're arguing over tongues, and what you need to be doing is growing up in your faith by God's holy word. So he begins to share with them to not minor major on minor issues but to focus on Christ when you come together focus on Christ bringing glory to God telling about the gospel of Jesus Christ when you come together second conduct issue he addresses here is women in the church let's look at verses 34 through 37 for a moment Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husband at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in the church. Or did the word of God come originally from you, or was it only, only that it reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are commandments of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. All right, stop there just for a moment. Going back, looking at verses 34 through 36, he says some very harsh, strong language when he's speaking to the women. He says, women to remain silent, be submissive, for they are acting in shameful ways. These are some harsh and strong words that I want us to walk through carefully, okay? Because a lot of people like to zero in on those two verses and say, see there? That's what women are and are not supposed to do. But how many of you know when we find one or two verses in Scripture, it must be understood in the lens of all of Scripture? 
because the Word of God does not contradict itself. Uh, it may sound like it or seem like it from time, uh, from time to time, but the Word of God never contradicts itself. And what we'll do in a time where we have some outliers of verses that don't fully, uh, we don't fully understand, we back up, we understand it in light of all of Scripture in order for us to see what it fully means. That's what we need to do here in verses 34 and 36. What we learn from Scripture is this, that women, like men, have spiritual gifts that have been given to them by God, their Heavenly Father, by the power of the Spirit. They have been gifted. Number two, women are to use their gifts to minister to the body of Christ. Number three, women are indispensable gifts uh, to the church for its life, for its growth, and for its health. But in Scripture, we also see that there are some restrictions on women just as there are restrictions on men. It's not because God is chauvinist and He doesn't allow women to do some things and men to do other things, but what God has done is He designed in order for the church, He's designed in order for the family, He's designed in order for His kingdom. And not only has He designed it for the church, for the kingdom, for the family, but He's also designed order within the Trinity. God the Father... Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There is order within the Trinity of God that we see. And what we see is that Jesus is submissive to God the Father, not because Jesus is any less God, but there's the order of the Trinity, and God loves all things done decently in order, as we see in our passage here this morning. And even the Trinity, there's an order. Within the church, there's an order. Within their family, there's an order. It's because God loves all things to be done decently in order. It's not because He shows it. It's God's design. And so, it's not the, the passage, get this, is not meant to devalue women in any way, but ultimately to point to the glory of God. And so, so the order from Scripture is men in this passage, in this church, ultimately churches, as a whole, the men have been put responsible for protecting the theology and the doctrine of God within the local church. Okay? That was the responsibility of men. And women were not to rule over men. But here in this passage, it looks like it says that women are not supposed to speak in the church. For verse 33, let your women keep silent. But this is not a another restriction that Paul is placing on women in the church. How do you know that, Justin? Because remember in our reading just last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul was speaking about women praying and prophesying in the church. That's what he was, he was just talking about, women praying in the church, prophesying in the church, and he was encouraging them to do so in chapter 11. And so he's not contradicting himself here just a few chapters later. What's going on is there's this chaos, this free-for-all that is going on inside the worship service. That people are speaking in tongues, people are singing, people are arguing, they're fighting and fussing, all a part of the worship service. And, 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 and what he's sharing with him is that there must, this must be done decently in order. The prophecy part is a lot like what I'm doing now. It's a human speaking with human words from God's word so that you can discern the truth. 
All right? And as a believer, you must discern that truth. And so there was a lot of false prophecy going on within the church of Corinth in this particular day. And, over, and then there was disagreements over the doctrine. There was women in the middle of service shouting and asking questions of those who were prophesying. And Paul was speaking specifically to those women to keep silent from screaming in the free-for-all and the chaos of the worship service, for it was the men's responsibility to keep the doctrine of the church. So basically, the entire problem here, and it's a pretty easy rule of thumb, was it was the men's fault. <laughs> All right? Anytime there's a problem in the church, always blame the man. That's what we always come... Remember Adam and Eve? Whose fault was it? Eve took the fruit. It's Adam's fault. Right? He was responsible for watching over and caring for it. And he goes, he goes not looking for Eve, he goes looking for Adam. Here in church Corinth, there's absolute chaos going on within the church. Whose fault was it? Was it the women's fault? It was the men's fault. They were not standing up and doing the job that God has given them to do, which is to hold a true doctrine within the church. And so he's telling these ladies who's screaming back and forth in the worship service, He's saying it displayed them not being submissive like Jesus. So he addresses the women's conduct, which only existed because the men in the church were not doing their job. So in the last words in chapter 14, on the conduct of believers, let all things be done decently in order. Chaos is never a reflection of God or Heavenly Father. It's never a reflection of His character. Who do you think's character is more chaos and confusion? Satan loves to cause chaos and confusion, right? Satan had his hand within this church, and you could see all over the place. So from their conduct, there was confusion. There's confusion. So the first thing is the church's conduct, speaking in tongues, making too much about it, making too little about it. There was women yelling in the church. He writes and tells them to, uh, to not be yelling and, and to remain silent because their actions were shameful. And then the second thing I want you to see is the church's confusion. And this is in chapter 15 here. Chapter 15, what he does is he realizes because of their conduct, he realized something is out of whack, and that was their understanding of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so he writes to them, in the midst of their confusion, to share with them the truth about the resurrection. This is why their, that this is why their conduct was out. That, that's the idea. When a lost person acts in a lost way, we don't have to address their conduct. We address the gospel of Jesus, their heart, right? It tells us that they don't know Jesus, and our fix for them knowing Jesus is not to fix their behavior, but it's to tell them the truth about Jesus Christ, to address the cross that they are a sinner, that have the opportunity to be saved by God's grace for any and all who repent of their sins and place their faith in Jesus. So Paul is writing to a group of believers who were inside the church of Corinth, but they were doubting the resurrection of Jesus. And because of their doubts, it affected the way they behaved and the way they acted. And Paul knew this, so he writes and not only addresses their behavior, but he addresses the cross of Christ. 
And he shares with them verses 3 through 10. You see, the proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Some of them were doubting, did Jesus really rise from the grave? And so he shares with them verses 3 through 10 that there were more than 500 eyewitnesses that saw him live, saw him die, and saw him live again. And of most of which who are still alive, you don't believe me, go and ask the eyewitnesses. That's what he tells you. You want proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? There are eyewitnesses still alive. Go and talk to them. You don't have to doubt is what he's saying because there are eyewitnesses. And then in verses 12 through 19, he tells them this, that if Christ is not risen, then you're still dead in your sin. If Christ is not risen, then your faith, <laughs> your faith is worthless. But then in verses 20 through 28, he says, but he is risen. He has defeated death. He has put all things under his feet and all authority belongs to him. And then in verses 29 through 34, he says, if this is not true, then why are we here? Why are we gathering as a church? Why don't we just go eat, drink, and be merry? Why are we wasting our time? If Jesus has not risen from the grave, then why don't we just live it up and enjoy the time we've got? Why are we wasting our time coming together to worship this so-called risen king? And then verse, and then he goes on and says, but the hope of Jesus is true. And he shares the results of the resurrection and what that means for the believers. Look in verse 54. He says, so when this corruptible has put on incorruption, this moral has put in immorality, <laughs> then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Verse 54 through 57, he says, death will have no sting. It says that hell will have no victory for Christ has defeated death Christ has conquered hell. Christ has made a way for salvation. This is Paul taunting death. That in this particular day of people who were doubting the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what they feared the most was death. And Paul, in the only way Paul can, is taunting death, saying death has no dominion over me. Death has no dominion over those who know Jesus Christ. For death has been defeated, hell has been conquered, and that Jesus lives today, and we can have life everlasting for all of those who have repented of their sins and placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the believers at Corinth, their behavior was affected by their confusion. They were confused about the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But get this, the only, Paul knew the only way to address their conduct was to address the cross. And the same is true today. If we really believe this word, it will affect every area of our life. It will affect every relationship that we have here on planet Earth. And if it doesn't, then there's a problem. We need to examine our faith Go back and see, do we truly believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior 
of our life. That's what Paul was teaching the, the church at Corinth. Their priorities were out of whack because they were majoring on the minor issues and they needed to be majoring on the truth of Jesus Christ. Speaking in tongues was not the problem. Women speaking in the church was not the problem. The chaos in the church was not the problem. The problem was the true understanding of Jesus and his resurrection and what that meant for them today. Let us be reminded in our reading from this passage for us not to major on the minor issues of this day because eternity is at stake and we can go to war all day long on all of these small issues that come up in our culture, in our media, and in our world while people are dying and going to hell every single second. May we not focus on the minor issues, but may we focus on the cross of Jesus Christ and salvation that is made available for all. Let us pray. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you so much for your word and we, we thank you for a, a time of study and a, a time of just looking at what you've offered us through the resurrection, what that means for us today as believers. God, I pray in our hearts we have conviction over issues in our lives and I understand that, Lord, and I thank you for putting those convictions in our hearts. But God, I pray that we may rally together in unity, unity of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we may be a witness for you in a lost and dying world, that we may disagree over a lot of issues, but we will not bend, we will not break when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We will stand firm, we'll be immovable, and we know the work and the gospel will not be in vain. For your spirit will come and do what you, what you want accomplished and for the purposes of your kingdom. And Lord, we pray now, if there's one here this morning that has doubted the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that is confused in their faith, Lord, I pray today will be the day that they repent of their sins and place their faith in you as Lord and Savior of life before it's everlasting too late. You know every need and every heart that is here this morning. And I lift each individual heart up to you and ask you to minister them in only a way that you can. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen and amen. Will you stand to your feet and respond in a way that's pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ.
come forward. This is Jessie Craner. She's no uh, stranger to us. Jessie's been coming here for quite some while, and she comes this morning uh, willing to join us at Rosebier Baptist Church, and so we're so excited for this. I got to uh, meet with Jessie uh, f- several weeks ago and hear her story and how God has worked in her life, and so we're so excited that Jessie would be willing to come and uh, be a part of us here at Rosebier Baptist Church, and so uh, at, at the end of the service, we're going to ask you to come by and thank her for joining us and being a part uh, of, of our membership. And then we'll, we always do our vote just on our normal business meeting, which comes up in a little bit later and things like that. But thank you so much, Jesse, for you coming. Rhonda, for your support. And if you be seated just for a moment, I've got a few announcements for you, and then we'll be dismissed. Um, and I know probably a lot of you have the question in your mind would say, Justin, you just preached a whole sermon. You never said anything. You said a lot about speaking in tongues, but you didn't say anything about what you believe about it. Or you said a lot about women speaking in church, but you didn't say what you ultimately believe about it. And, um, and, and there's ultimately, uh, there's fully a reason why, because I said it's a minor issue, but what I do believe about speaking in tongues is um, I do believe it is a gift from the Spirit um, and I believe there, um, and so the, the particular tongue that we're talking about in the passage is ultimately a prayer of praise that is ultimately to God, right? And it's, it's more of for individual encouragement. And that's why he was saying uh, we want the whole body to be encouraged, not just the individual when you come together for worship. And so it's ultimately like something you pray ultimately to God. Um, and what uh, one commentator wrote something like this, and it made a lot of sense. Um, like when a baby is born, it's not very long as babies three months old, four months old, five months old, stuff like that, that the baby will make a certain noise and mom and dad know exactly what that noise means. My baby's hungry. <laughs> My baby's faking it and nothing's really wrong with her. She's just wanting me to hold her. Um, or something's hurting. And like, did she communicate that with words? No. But did mama know? Yes. You see, we are like babes in Christ that sometimes our prayers, we can't even get words out that ultimately make sense, but God, our Heavenly Father, knows our heart. Amen. All right? And so that, and then ultimately, I, what I believe, especially in the Baptist church, we get so scared about what the Bible speaks about women uh, ministering in the church that because the Bible don't speak a ton about it. 
right, of what, they're, what to do, what not to do, and things like that. And so in the Baptist church, we run the opposite direction and say, well, they don't speak a lot about what they can and can't do, so they can't do anything. And I don't think that's a right view to hold. And as you can see, I believe that women can pray in the church. I believe that women uh, can, can lead worship and lead us in worship, and, the, and we're excited about that. The women have many roles and responsibility God has given them to help benefit the church, and we see that. But if you have any more questions about that, please let me know. We can talk more. Uh, but a few uh, announcements before we leave. Just a reminder, we're on days 81 through 85 of our Bible reading plan. That's 2 Corinthians 3 through 7. And then next Sunday, April the 30th, we have a really big day. Um, we have worship uh, that morning, and then from 2 to 4 p.m., we have a baby shower. I'm sorry, a wedding shower, not a baby shower. I'm so sorry about that. We have a bunch of babies around here, okay? So that won't be long. But we have a wedding shower that is for Emily Lockett and Michael Feaser that will be in the fellowship hall from 2 to 4 p.m. We want to celebrate with them because that day will be here before you know it. Um, and then that evening, we're going to have a special night of worship where our praise team is going to lead us in worship. That's going to begin at 5 p.m. here in the sanctuary, um, April the 30th. All that's happening next week. And then on Wednesday, May the 17th, from 5 to 8 p.m., we're having our church cleanup day. And we've got several ways that you can serve. Uh, sign up now on the ways that you want to serve or in the Anywhere Needed line. And so we can be planning even now for church cleanup that is coming up on May the 17th. And then we have a very special day today, which is Mildred and Bob Rhodes' 69 wedding anniversary. 69. Holy smoke. We don't have many people here who are 69 years old. Do you know that, Bob Mildred? Amazing. Amazing job, Mildred. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Putting up with him 69 years. <laughs> a couple of times. You missed, huh? And then last but not least, uh, a, a very thank you uh, from my family to yours for your love offering and your gift that you gave to me and my family for our 10-year ministry anniversary. Uh, you are such a blessing to us, and we thank you from the bottom of our heart. Thank you, guys. If you'll stand to your feet, we will be dismissed today. May God bless you and keep you, and we'll see you Wednesday night uh, for our Wednesday night service. Elijah, would you mind leading us in our closing prayer?